fuck ball golf, right? Like, <laughs> right or no? Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> hey, welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast, the podcast where we try to broaden perspectives while going off the rails. In this episode, we have Nicholas Carl. First off, congrats on having two first names. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yep, there is three of them. I got a middle name, so it ends up being three. Oh, dang. Yep. The trifecta. Yep. <laughs> so, Nicholas Carl, he's a pro, professional disc golfer. Guys, I know I say I hate talking sports on this podcast, and for good reason, because I'm not really into stats. But we've had some awesome professionals come in on this podcast. We learn about their story, how they got into their profession. Talk about how, listen, you know what? Let's just sit back, buckle up, and let's go too hard, too fast. So, Boom. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. Welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast. To too Hard, Too Fast. Anything that rolls downhill, man. I mean, old habits die hard, right? It's the podcast by the people for the people. Too hard, too fast. Well, I'm going too hard, too fast. Only here. Too hard, too fast. Let's do it. Welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast, where we are double fisted on that ass. Welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast podcast. Cheers. Hey, hey, welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast. It is Brianne Davis. Hey, welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast. Welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. My name is Nicholas Carl. I'm a professional disc golfer sponsored by Discraft. I own an apparel company called Discura, and I'm also sponsored by Resistance Disc. Check out the episode. It's about to be badass. But if you see him playing disc golf, he wants to be known as Nick Carl. Get it right, everybody. Nick Carl's perfect. <laughs> so welcome, everyone, to Too Hard, Too Fast <laughs> podcast. That's right. <laughs> we go off the rails, and George has to worry about it. So <laughs> here we go. For the podcast of the century. All right, Nicholas, can I call you Nick? Is that cool? Totally fine with me. Perfect. So, Nick, fuck ball golf, right? Like, <laughs> right or no? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know. I. It's funny. Um, so, there's there's a massive group of disc golfers out in the world right now who will call golf. They'll call it ball golf. And look, golf's been around forever. I'm one of the disc golfers out in the world who knows that golf is such a professional sport. I absolutely love casually playing golf. I suck at it, but at the same time, I love going out and playing. And so it's funny because, uh, you know, when I, when I've done podcasts before people, you know, they'll always say ball golf, but if you call it golf and disc golf, I totally get the difference between the two. I always try to call it golf. Cause that's, that is what it's called. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, they got a lot of money in the sport. That's something that disc golf is slowly trying to kind of move their way into. So we, we try to mimic a lot of our lifestyle and a lot of the way the tournaments are played and the game itself is played off of golf. And so, you know, I love it. I love the professionalism of it. And, you know, I love casually playing it. Well, I'll say this. You can call it ball golf. You can call it golf. Mm -hmm. I'll call Mm -hmm. it boring. (laughs) Uh, And that's why I don't have a ball golf professional on here i have a disc golfer because i'm honestly fully interested in the sport Mm -hmm. i've never played it and so i want to learn about it so i'm going to ask you questions you know kind of like the basic what are the rules things like that but we're not going to stay that bored sounds good i kind of i kind of want to just like really dig into like the stuff that's going to make me want to actually get out there and play Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, but before we do all that, the, I have gone to like driving ranges for, mm -hmm. for golf. Not really to get into the sport, not really to better my, what is it called? My swing. Mm -hmm. You know, I have the happy, happy Gilmore swing. Where yeah. just... <laughs> you just try You just try to launch it every time. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. only there for two things. I'm there mm -hmm. to smash that golf ball and smash beers. There That's you go. So, hey, believe me, I, lo I love going to Top Golf and smashing some beers, shooting the shit with some buddies, and you know, just realistically having a good time. Dude, Top Golf is a thing, man. Dude, I used to go it, to like yeah. the regular uh, driving ranges, but Top Golf is actually fun, especially when they have yeah. the lights going on. Oh yeah, it's a real good time. I'm always afraid I'm gonna fall over if I'm on the second. I'm on the second. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like yeah. I'm gonna be that guy, man. Yeah, that's why they got that netting. I've seen a couple of videos <laughs> of people always almost falling. It's it's a good time. Yeah, I mean. Phew. But uh, speaking of beers, I brought a beer on. Um, what do you usually drink if you're like, dude, I've been on a tournament for a while. Yeah. I need so uh, let's see. La last week I was in Waco, Texas, playing the uh, Waco Annual Charity Open. And after the first round, I had played a real good first round. One of my buddies was celebrating, I think his 22nd or 23rd birthday. And so we went to some pool bar. And I went straight up to the counter. I asked the lady if she had any sours. So if I'm ever casually drinking and I want to have a good beer, I try to find a nice flavored sour. But if I'm just chilling in a hotel room like I am right now, I'll you know pick up a seltzer, which I got right here. I got a nice big Bud Light seltzer. Or uh, I'll just pick up some Bud Lights or something like that. You know, I, I drink it all. But uh, lately, actually, I've, I've been on a pretty good wine kick. I'm, I've been loving red wine. So... If, with a good dinner, I, I like having a glass of wine now. Yeah, I get heartburn, but I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, good uh, Okay, so you piqued my interest with the sours because I've brought some sours on this podcast before. And what we do on the podcast, we'll taste something new that I've, you know, right now, Lone Star. I brought it because, like, you were in Waco. Mm -hmm. uh, so, obviously, I'm in Texas. Yeah. So I wanted to, like, keep it, like, Texas-orientated. There and I want to, I, this is the first time I've brought Lone Star on the podcast. Usually, you know, I get some grief. It's like, dude, you always drink an IPA or you're always doing like high end beers. It's like, like, why don't you ever like rate a normal guy's beer or a normal mm -hmm. person's beer? Yeah. Like, dude, I'm normal. I'm poor. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to try fancy stuff sometimes. I, mean, I don't even know, like craft stuff, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, I'll I'll crack a Lone Star, a Bud Light, mm -hmm. uh, and but so anyway, getting back to like the sours, I brought on sours on here, and I can't I can't hack it with them, man. They're like, I I just the flavor. Oh, it's that, that it's that little bit of aftertaste that I love. It's kind of like this almost tart feeling. It oh, almost you love the aftertaste. Oh yeah, I yeah I love it. It's kind of like I mean, it's like having a sour patch. You know, if you eat too many of them. Yeah, you, you cut up your lips, you cut up your mouth, whatever, because of how sour and how much sugar is in them. That that sour beer kind of gives you that little aftertaste of like, you know, it almost makes you pucker your lips in a, in a sense, you know, pinch them together. And if I get a nice, you know, I've had some really good blueberry, raspberry, uh, Virginia. There's a there's a brewery out in Virginia where I live right now, and they have this incredible, incredible sour called the Mama Tired. And when that's in season. Any place that I go, if they have it, I'll usually put down three or four of them. It's it's my favorite beer during the season. So I'm hopefully now that the weather's getting nicer back up in Virginia, 
you know, hopefully that'll be the thing that I get during dinner. Are you still in Texas? Yeah. So I'm in Texas this week. Uh, I'm actually in Belton, Texas. Currently I have one more tournament here in Texas before I drive back to Virginia. And then I've got some local stuff there and then I've got a pretty full schedule this year. So I'll be, I'll be all over the country at this point. I don't know where Belton is. I'm not familiar, but Uh, I'm, I'm about 45 minutes South of Waco is what I want to say. Oh, South. Okay. Yeah. No, I was, the only reason I'm asking is because, um, there's this place, uh, Martin House Brewing, who, you know, they've they've given us some love on the podcast. Mm-hmm. They've never sent me any beer, even though I keep asking. But uh, they mm-hmm. always make sure to love that that Instagram post. Um, nice. But they usually make some weird flavors, and a lot of them are um, sours. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones I actually respect. You know, yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not a big fan of sours, but I like what they're doing. Yeah. So oh, yeah. if you find yourself in Fort Worth, maybe. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. I've been to Dallas, I think, once or twice now, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I don't know how close those are actually together. I'm pretty immature when it comes to the geography of Texas. But, yeah, definitely if, I, if I'm there for a little bit, yeah. I'm supposed to go to um, Austin, Texas, actually. After I, go, uh, after I leave and finish my tournament here in Belton, I'm going to go to Austin for a day or two. I got a buddy flying in for work, and we're going to go you know, spend a night together. He's got this restaurant that he absolutely loves i can't remember the name of it but then uh right after that head back to virginia nice nice i'm only an hour away from austin okay Uh, nice nice so i grew up in austin so i love it uh so yeah have you been there usually no no, i haven't haven't been yet yeah it's all new dang well yeah Yeah. i'm not sure i guess you i i think you're gonna miss it by the time you get there which is probably good because It'll give you like a really crappy time for your first time in Austin, but right now that while while we're filming this or recording this, they're having South by Southwest, which is like the biggest movie and music festival. Oh no, kidding! Around, yeah, and it's super fun. Uh, yeah, I th- I don't think you'll be by the time you get there. I think it's already over. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Sorry. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll find something to do. Oh, there's something to do. Yeah, there's always something. Oh yeah. Um. So. Let's get off the beer, but before we do that, I want you to give a rating on the on the Bud Light Seltzer um, from 1.0 to 2. You send us the most. What would you give it? Obviously, you know anything 1.0 to 1.3 will be like, dude. If you if that's the only thing I have to drink, yeah. I'll drink it. Mm-hmm. Anything in the middle of 1.4 to 1.6 is like, hey, if you see it in the store, definitely get it. 1.7 to 2 or 1.7 to 9, uh, 1.9 no matter where it is you're going to drive to go buy it mm-hmm. if it's a 2 you buy it and then get a hotel because you're going to go too hard too fast yeah yeah there you go <laughs> um no nah, it's a uh, so it's a black cherry bud light seltzer and you know i like truly's um bud light came out with a watermelon pack that i'm pretty sure like the strawberry lemonade one that i've had from them was actually delicious this black cherry one i mean I, I I enjoy seltzers. I'm not a super fan of them. In all honesty, I'd probably give it like a 1.2, 1.3, just in the sense of like, you know, it kind of hit me the same way. You know, when I went out to go try to buy something, I saw this and I was like, hey, I'll give it a go. And then now I'm drinking it. It's, you know, same thing. If, I, if I'm in a store and I'm like, you know, I'm in the mood for a seltzer and I see it, it's got a big can. So I'm like, you know what? I'll pick it up. But it's not something that I would say, you know, hey, if you're driving in the area, you got to get this. So yeah. this would be something that, you know, because it's pretty big, 
And if it's summertime, that's the best time to drink a seltzer. I would say this is something that you could definitely go too hard, too fast on. But for the most part, you know, you probably get some heartburn before you get there. <laughs> definitely sugary. Uh, uh, well, to the Lone Star, I can give you the rating because I've definitely drank plenty of these. A lot of my nights with this probably will make too hard, too fast moments. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so even though this is more of the cheaper kind of beer, so it costs less, I always see it as in the bigger cans, especially out in bars. Yeah. So that's usually my go-to because um, you get more mm-hmm. volume for your buck. Mm-hmm. And also, it's not a bad taste. I, I'm not a big fan of the red ones. I don't know if you've ever seen the red ones. No, um, I don't think so. So the red ones are full beers. This is a, a Lone Star Light. So, you know, I kind of like the light side because I'm not I'm not on the light side. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try yeah, to yeah. pretend that I'm being healthy. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll do like a 1.43 on this because it's not like a, oh, man, if that's all there is, I'll drink it. Mm-hmm. It's usually like I'm not going to overbuy or overpay for something else. So I'm mm-hmm. always going to go Lone Star Light. Gotcha. If I see that in the gas station this week, I'll probably pick one up just to see if my rating for it will kind of match yours. Dude, I would love that. And then you can like, let me know. Post yeah. it somewhere and let me know. Cause I would absolutely, I would say like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Or <laughs> you're drunk yeah, you already, go. George. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man. All right. So you're from Massachusetts. Yes, sir. And I, did you catch that Mexican accent? When I, said <laughs> I, I caught it a little bit. You'll, you'll every so often you'll hear my Massachusetts, New England accent come out just a little bit here and there. Yeah. Um, where uh man i'm gonna mess it up the longer we go massachusetts like where are we're at so if i if you fly into boston i'm about an hour west of it i'm literally smack dab in central massachusetts there's a uh, city called worcester and i'm about 15 minutes north of that that's that's uh where my parents still reside right now that's where we grew up was pretty much just outside of worcester my whole life and uh yeah so i've been there I, i pretty much like I said, I pretty much lived there my whole life with a couple of years in between. I would move to a different state for about a year or two at a time, go back to Massachusetts. And then uh, the end of 2020, I moved down to Virginia and I've been there since. And I'll probably be there for the foreseeable future. You know, definitely the next year or two, I'll be in Virginia. And then who knows after that, I'd love to eventually make my way down south to Florida. Uh, as a professional disc golfer, you want to be able to play year round. And so in the wintertime, Florida, the pretty much lowest it drops is in the forties. And for them, they, they all hate that. I, in the wintertime, I'd love to play in the forties. I mean, I'd, I'd be in a t-shirt in 40 degree weather during the wintertime. They're all in parkas and vests oh. and everything like that. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously right now that you're in Texas, you know how we're waking up with like maybe 60 degree weather. Mm-hmm. And then by mm-hmm. the time the sun shines, it's like 80, 90 yeah. degrees. Oh yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I want that heat. I want 75, 80 degree weather all day, every day. I don't care if it's morning or night. That's what I want. I hate being cold, man. I hate being cold. <laughs> hate it. Oh, hate it. 60 degrees is like too cold for me. Yep. Yep. But, totally agree. Um, speaking of Massachusetts, uh, is it safe to say you're not a Bruins fan? I am a Bruins fan. You're a Bruins fan? Are you oh, aware yeah. that they're playing right now? Uh, so I'm actually, uh, it's funny. I grew up playing a ton of different sports and hockey was one of the sports that I never got into when it came to playing. Um, I got a lot of buddies who love watching the Bruins playing, you know, played hockey their whole lives growing up. And for me, it, 
it's a fun sport to watch. I don't care. Like if I'm at a bar and the Bruins are on, I'll, I'll watch the whole game and I'll be involved with it. I love going to a Bruins game live in person, but if I'm, you know, sitting down in a hotel room, if I don't know the Bruins are on, I, I don't, I don't make a conscious effort to throw on the TV and specifically look for them. I'm a big basketball person. I love watching the Celtics play. And so if, if I do know the Celtics are playing, if the, wherever I am, if they somehow have the channel, I definitely will turn on the Celtics or sometimes even I'll go to a sports bar knowing they got all different games on and I'll try to watch the Celtics for the night. I, I enjoy watching basketball the most out of majority of the sports out there right now. So what a redeem your Boston card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean yeah. to put you out there like that. Nah, nah, you're good. Like, you're I'm good. watching it right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, hey, it's funny. I just hockey was something, you know, I remember growing up, all my buddies, they would play hockey and, you know, they'd be waking up at three, four in the morning before school to get practice in. And when I played basketball for high school, it wasn't until, you know, five, six, seven at night that I would have practice. I had no desire back then to wake up at three thirty, four in the morning just to go play a sport for high school. So hockey just never, you know, clicked. But like I said, I love watching them live, everything like that. But Celtics, you know, Patriots, obviously, I'm a big Patriots fan when it comes to football. Uh, Red Sox, I love watching, especially during the playoffs. Love watching the Red Sox. I think. Last year, I probably watched 90% of the playoff games for the Red Sox because, you know, for me, when I practice putting inside, I'll just put the TV on so at least I can listen. When I do my putting practice, you know, I take a break here and there, so I get to watch it a little bit. Uh, So I enjoy watching baseball as well. Going going live, nothing beats going to a live sports event, though. And so if someone, you know, if I was up in Massachusetts and someone said, hey, you want to go check out the Bruins game? I'd be like, yeah, hell yeah, dude. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, well, I'll show you this, um, and also why I brought it up. I don't know if you can see it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Huge there you go. Bruins fan. Uh, Hell yeah. Hockey is my favorite sport, and then it's football. But I didn't grow up watching hockey. I I I didn't watch hockey till like two thousand six, two thousand seven, when I moved to San Antonio. They had a hockey team here, and. We used, I used to just go for dollar beers. That's what the only oh, reason. Yeah. Yeah. So then from going there, I just started learning the, the rules. And I was like, dude, I'm, hockey's badass. And then so I was like, I need a team to to uh, cheer for. Mm-hmm. And after all the like, research, I kind of like liked the history of the Bruins because it was, it was like, obviously I grew up a, a Dallas Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. So... They were super good at one point, you know, when I was a kid, too young to remember the Super Bowls, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I was alive for them mm-hmm. or too young to care about them. But now it's like, oh, it's the, the biggest team or, you know, but they can't win anything. Yeah. 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 Well, that's where I was with the yeah. Bruins. Like, you know, like everybody talks about the Bruins, but they haven't, mm-hmm. they didn't win. They hadn't won in forever. Yeah. So like 2011. Yep. But <laughs> so that's where I was like, I'm going to go for them because they seem like the, the team that's good, but just can't do it. Yeah. You know, or can't pull it out. So yeah. I, I didn't want to be like, Oh, I'm going to jump on the Canadians bandwagon or the. Yeah, definitely. Don't, de- definitely don't jump on the Canadian bandwagon. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't need that. Yeah. No, none of that. Or, or what was the yeah. team? Um, the Capitals. I think, I believe they yep. were winning yep. a lot at the time. And so oh, yeah. I don't want to be jumping into somebody that's already winning. I want to yeah. earn that. I want to support a team kind of for the ground up. 
Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's how I've always felt about sports. I mean, you know, being from Massachusetts, I've lived in New York before. I've lived in Virginia. I lived in Florida for a little bit. But uh, I'll always root for the Massachusetts team. Doesn't matter if they're doing, you know, well. I mean, I watched the Celtics for years when it was just Paul Pierce. And then the year they got the big three, you know, I got to w- watch them finally win a championship. I've been casually watching the Bruins with friends for years. They finally won the championship. I remember, I think it was back in 2004 when John Lester, let's see, was it 2004? No, it might have been a little, maybe a couple years after, maybe 06, 07. I remember watching John Lester pitch a shutout, you know, no hitter. And, um, I remember watching the you know Red Sox win the World Series. I watched every single game of the clean sweep of New York. I mean, yeah, you got to watch through the bad times and the good times. That's that's what makes you appreciate it. Fortunately, though, when I started watching football, you know, we had Tom Brady kind of at the height of his career, and so I, you know, I've watched multiple multiple Super Bowls. I remember back in 2017, I was living in Virginia at the time, and I remember specifically driving up to Massachusetts for the Super Bowl, and uh, that year they were playing the Falcons. And I remember saying like, holy shit, I can't believe I just drove 10 hours to watch the Patriots get absolutely smacked in the Super Bowl. And then they made the, you know, the most notorious comeback in the world. And, uh, you know, when I was living in New York, I watched them. I watched the interception happen against the Seahawks. And it makes you appreciate the good times when it comes to sports, because anyone who roots against the Patriots is usually just someone who hates seeing the Patriots win. Yeah. Majority of the time, some people will argue, you know, oh, that's where I'm from. So, I, you know, you got to hate the Patriots. But a majority of the time, their team sucks. The Patriots kept on winning. And so, you know, they'd be upset that, you know, they, they got the interception in the last second and yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, the only reason I rooted against and almost hated the Patriots and almost hated Tom Brady. But I was like, I can't hate the guy. He's he's awesome. Yeah. But. The only reason I would go against the Patriots was because of the people that would say, oh, I've always been a Patriots fan. It's like, no, no, motherfucker, yeah. you haven't. You were yeah. a Dallas Cowboys fan, and we suck. And yeah, that's why you exactly. took shit. Yep, <laughs> yep. You guys make the playoffs every year. The playoffs don't work in your favor. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, you know, fortunately, it's nice to say I'm from Massachusetts, and so I have an obligation to root for the Patriots. I love what they're doing now. I think Mac Jones is an incredible quarterback, and I think he's going to be great. I don't think he's like the second coming of Tom Brady. But at the same time, you, we got a great coaching staff. I think, you know, the Pats will do some pretty great things. We're talking sports. Let's yeah, go yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. else. I feel like I, I, I've already took it to a, no, a nosedive there. Yep. Um, <laughs> you don't have to agree to with me so quickly. <laughs> um, dude, when did you when did you uh, start playing disc golf? Uh, not, and I'm not not just really professional, but when did mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. into it? So uh, I'm 27 years old right now. Uh, when I was 18, going to church with a bunch of friends, uh, family, grew up kind of in the church atmosphere, and one of our youth leaders at the time was casually competitive in the sport. And so we were all hanging out in the parking lot one day, shooting some hoops and, you know, throwing a football around, throwing a regular Frisbee around. And he started telling me about disc golf. His name's Matt Graham. And uh, he's actually, you know, the co-host of the podcast that I run. And he was like, hey, you know, take this, which is called the Nick and Matt show. It's a very disc golf based podcast. It's an awesome time. And I saw uh, on your Instagram, you have a little like animated picture of yourselves. Yeah, yeah, we got. I, I forget exactly what it's called, but yeah, it's two little animated pictures of us. Thought it came out incredible, and um, so he gave me a disc. I forget which one it was, but he was like, "Take this and try to throw it across the parking lot." 
So I threw it and, you know, from what I remember, it went decently far for the first time throwing it. It's completely different when it comes to the flight of your regular beach Frisbee. So he started inviting me out to go out to just some casual rounds. And this is back when I was 18. He started uh, inviting me to go play casual rounds. And I slowly started getting hooked in the sense of it was something I'm just getting out of high school now. I found this competitive sport that doesn't cost a lot of money. And I live only five, six minutes away from the course that a lot of people go to. So I started, you know, playing some leagues, which, you know, a lot of competitive people would go to started every so often I'd get paired up with a really good player and I'd make some money. And then I was like, you know what? I'm getting carried all these weeks. I want to, I want to get better so that I can carry someone else. And so I bought myself a small little basket. I started practicing a lot more. I had my license out of car back then. And so I would you know, drive to every single league that was available. And my progression of the sport kind of went up at a decent, a decent rate of, you know, having someone teach me and then me learning it in a sense in my own way. So I, I technically started playing about when I was 18. And then, like I said, I'm 27 now. And I've, I've been playing professionally for probably the last five years. But in 2021, that was the first year where I I quit my full-time job that I was making good money at, and I decided to move to Virginia and ended up just pursuing disc golf as a full-time career. Uh, if you're ever going to be good at something, you need to just dive headfirst into it and put all your effort into it. And so a lot of my buddies who are full-time professional disc golfers, they don't work a regular job. They, you know, They don't work a nine to five, a seven to three, anything like that. And so if I was going to compete at the level that I want to compete at, it was you got money in the savings account. Let's try to do this. You know, let's try to get out to these big events. Let's try to make a name for yourself. And so last year in 2021, that was, I would say officially when I started taking it seriously and wanted to compete professionally. I mean, I, I was actually going to ask like, if you have a, a day job still, because we, we were kind of like off air, we were talking about my day job, you saying you're, you're quitting your day job. Like, what was that? Did what, what was that feeling like? Because I feel like it has to be like fear. Yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, all in all, it's a very nervous feeling. Um, so I'll kind of explain my last job. Back in 2018, uh, one of my buddies was working for a construction company. And in that company, it's called a, uh, it was called Rock Splitters Drilling and Blasting. And so our job was to go to job sites, you know, before a house was built lumberjacks come in they cut down the trees and then if there's rock in that you know if there's ledge granite marble anything like that our company's job was to drill through that load it up with dynamite hit a button blow it all up and then leave and go to the next one and so back in 2018 i'd got my commercial driver's license my cdl with a hazmat endorsement and i started driving around dynamite full-time going to these job sites working with the blasters working with the drillers and uh it was a great job. It, I mean, I literally got to tell people I used to blow shit up for a living. You know, it was super cool. Everyone kind of, you know, the second you tell them you work with dynamite, excuse me, everyone's eyes get wide open and uh, it paid really well. So up in Massachusetts, cost of living is obviously a little bit higher than most areas. That's why they call it Taxachusetts kind of sucks. But uh, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, in the area that I was living, it was uh, pretty decently priced. And I was still living with my parents at the time. and. So I was making good money with that. 
Uh, I, I loved the job in the sense of like, it was fun to do, but I hated the job because of, you know, the other companies that we would have to work with, you know, in construction, you're dealing a lot of times, especially with a smaller company to where you complete a job. And then whoever you completed it for wants to be kind of an asshole and not pay you when you're supposed to be paid, or they nitpick all the little things that, you know, went wrong. And so all of a sudden you're, 180,000 bill that you're charging them turns into $130,000. But, you know, you spent $70,000 on dynamite, you spent $30,000 on labor, the profits get a little smaller. And so it gets stressful. And so, you know, back then when I was working construction, you know, I had a construction mouth to where people would go back and forth yelling at each other, swearing, swearing up a storm all the time. And, but I was still casually competitively playing disc golf, not obviously full-time like I'm doing now, but I was still, you know, competing at local tournaments and working the job that I was working, although it paid great, it was holding me back from what I really wanted to do. And so now fast forward to the end of 2020, I came down to Virginia to visit some friends. They asked me if I wanted to move into their house. They had just bought a pretty big house. It had a really nice basement, had its own living room. The only thing pretty much at that point that we were sharing was a kitchen. And uh, they both travel full time. And so I rarely ever saw them that year anyways. And uh, so they asked, they were like, hey, if you want to move down here and try to pursue this full time, we got a spot for you. So I remember being in Virginia and I was like, well, hell yeah, that sounds incredible. I'm about to go back up to Massachusetts. I put in my two weeks at the, you know, Christmas party that we the work Christmas party that we had. I was like, Hey, Brian, you know, he was like, Oh, Nick, you've been doing great this year. You know, big things coming for you. And like I said, I was making great money. I was about to get a raise probably. And uh, I was like, yeah, Hey, Brian, sorry, but you know, I'm putting in my two weeks. I'm quitting. I'm moving to Virginia. I'm going to pursue disc golf full time. And he was like, on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We all just got, you know, you know, a couple hundred dollars in bonuses, you know, little stuff. They took us out for a nice meal. I was drinking scotch all night, you know, great time. And uh, I'm like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm quitting. And they're they're They were supportive, obviously. But, you know, a man in my position back then, when you're driving dynamite, not everyone can just go out and drive dynamite. You know, it, it's a very, very tough job in the sense of you got to be very particular with everything that you do, because if you're missing one stick of dynamite, if your count is wrong, you know, you got the ATF coming after you. You know, I had to go through ATF background checks, I had to go through hazmat print checks, you know, with my fingerprints. I'm constantly, you know working with that uh, ATF when they would come out to where the dynamite is stored. And so, you know, kind of stressful in that sense of the word, but I also felt like I was kind of at a dead end job. I didn't see the company flourishing and becoming this multi-million dollar company where I was going to make $500,000 a year at one day. And so I was like, you know what? I quit my job and it was a huge, you know, like sigh of relief kind of thing where it's like, Oh, I have all that off my back now. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, now that I'm pursuing disc golf, I'm not making the paycheck that I used to be making unless I do well at disc golf. And with any job, you have bad days. And so if I go out and I play a tournament and I shoot like shit, I don't get a paycheck. And so then it's like, okay, there's, you know, people call it a week vacation, but it's a really stressful week because every day I'm practicing, every day I'm eating, you know, I still got to eat food. I still got to buy groceries. I still got to, you know, sometimes pay rent. I got to pay for my phone bill, car insurance, car payment, all that. When you don't make a paycheck that week, you got to rebudget. Now you got to think about, you know, all these other things that you didn't have to think about before. And so that's kind of where the stress came into it. Fortunately, I, I did pretty well last year when it came to how I played. And so I was making money. I also, I coach with disc golf. I teach lessons as kind of like a filler job. 
So I make money like that. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's really good cash, which is great. And, you know, ultimately the question you asked, what was the feeling of it? It was a sigh of relief, but it also ultimately it became stressful at a certain point to where it's like, Oh, I just had three bad weeks in a row. Now I really got to budget correctly. But fortunately I've been able to set up some other sources of income in my life when it comes to like, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but I started up an apparel company that officially just launched a couple of days ago. So I've found other means of income. So when I do come out into the road, I come out to Bell in Texas and I compete against the best players in the world. If I have a bad weekend, as much as I want to play well, that's my ultimate goal. It's not about the money. It's about the accolades when it comes to it. I want to say that I've won these big tournaments. I want to say that I've beat the best players in the world. You know, I still have other sources of income helping me out. And so that stress kind of went down when it came into that, which has been a huge, huge, you know, kind of blessing in my life in that regards. And that's all because, you know, I, this is what I did when I was researching you and trying to come up with questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, I scrolled all the way to your very first Instagram post. Yeah. Back in high school. (laughs) Yeah. And then I started moving up and I, try to like pinpoint the moment where it was you know nicholas carl the uh normal guy mm-hmm. to nicholas carl the professional disc golfer so i was trying to find that spot and there was a, a picture that i found it was you and another person uh and i said oh workflow something like that and i was like okay he's still in his day job mm-hmm. and then i think i scrolled two more pictures and I was like, boom, Paul Macbeth is liking his his, uh, his uh, Instagram post. This is the moment because, mm-hmm. like, from what it looks like, Paul Macbeth is probably like the Tiger Woods of. Yep. Right. That's literally the perfect analogy you could have just used. Paul Macbeth is the, uh, the Tiger Woods of disc golf. He's in every sport you got a goat. In my personal eyes, Paul Macbeth is the goat of disc golf. Uh, and I, I don't think there. So I'll kind of, I'll, I'll, back the statement up a little bit you got bill russell in the nba and it's funny because i'm actually watching the last dance with michael jordan again just for you know just kind of the hell of it you got bill russell in the nba won 11 championships great coach great player all these great things then you got michael jordan who competed at a completely different era went six for six in the finals and people consider him the goat which i completely agree with i think michael michael jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time we have a player in our sport his name is ken climo He's a 12-time world champion, which when you're talking about the accolades in our sport, the world championships is the number one. That is the tournament to win. Your career is kind of looked at by your world championship wins. Ken Climo has 12 of them, but he also competed back in the 90s and the early 2000s where most of the people that were playing in his field were still working those day jobs. They were still you know, putting in their 9 to 5 and then playing disc golf in the afternoon. And not to take anything from Ken Climo, he was – a fantastic player and i don't think anyone will ever beat how many championships that man has won but when it comes to paul Macbeth, he's won five world titles in a field that i would consider much harder uh you got players you have multiple players doing this as a full-time job now making incredible money with it so in my own personal opinion paul Macbeth is the greatest of all time at disc golf He's the Tiger Woods. And, you know, like, I guess with any sport, when you talk about someone that won 
you know, just take it back to hockey. Like, you know, we can talk about the Canadians and, and the, the original six. Mm-hmm. I was like, obviously they got a whole ton of, of NHL wins or, or Stanley cup wins, but it's because there was only six and then, you know, everybody was still growing. Yeah. So again, like you said, not taking uh, anything away from, um, Oh, I gotta have uh, then. What's his name again? Uh, so not taking anything away from like Ken Climo, Ken the number one Climo. guy. Yeah, okay. and see, I never saw anything from him on when mm-hmm. I was researching this call, mm-hmm. and so I don't want to like discredit anything with him. But when I was doing, you know, just research on this call itself, the name I would see was Paul Macbeth, <laughs> and so other than Paige Pierce, yep, that I started following first. He's the other guy that I started following. And so, you know, and then I started to get to know other people. And um, so anyway, just, you know, I saw Paul Macbeth a lot. And I was like, dude, this is this is the Tiger Woods of disco. So that's my acknowledgement. But that was my until right now where you kind of just affirm that that was just my my ignorant thought to disco. Because like I said, I'm coming in. As I'm inter- interested in the in the sport, but I've never played it. I've never tried it, and so going with that, I also just learned that you have different, at least three different discs, right? Like when you're playing. Yeah. Um. So it's it's funny because uh, like a casual player can go out. I I could go out with three discs at a local course and do pretty well with it. But when I'm playing, when I'm practicing for big tournaments, you know, I have twenty to twenty five different discs in my bag. I carry, you know, one like of the, they're all doing their, their own, uh, they're all doing their own part. Yeah, exactly. So same thing, same thing in golf. You got your drivers, you got your hybrids, you got your, uh, irons and you got your putters and then you got like a pitching wedge and a sandwich kind of in the iron category. Same thing in disc golf, man. We got distance drivers. We've got hybrid kind of like a slower, but still goes far. We have fairway drivers. We have mid ranges and we have putters. Every disc is just built a little bit different to where it does something different than another one that you have in your bag. And so, you know, if I have a certain shot, I have a certain disc for that shot. You know, I I could like when I'm practicing for the course right now, hole one, it's about 360 feet, maybe 380 feet. And I got to throw it up in the air and have it end to the left. And I've got a disc in my bag that specifically does that so that I feel like I can, you know, birdie that hole, get the best possible score that I can on that hole. Another hole later on the course does the same thing, but it ends up going to the right. And so I have a disc in my bag that wants to finish to the right, depending on how I throw it. So we go out. I mean, once I learn a course and I'm playing the tournament just to kind of conserve a little bit of energy, I'll take some discs out of my bag. And, but for the most part, yeah, I'm rolling around with 20, 25 discs usually at all times. Dang. Yeah, I thought. See, here I was like, "There's only three. Like, nah, no, no, no. We're there's there's thousands, thousands, and thousands of different types of discs that are out in the world right now. I'm sponsored. I'm excuse me. I'm sponsored by a disc manufacturer named Discraft, and so every disc that Discraft makes, I'm allowed to throw that certain disc. And so I found I found what is in my bag right now to best suit my game, and so that's what I throw. And so I have my distance drivers, my fairways, my mid ranges, and my certain putters. And so that allows me to feel like I can compete at the best of my ability, uh, being sponsored by a disc manufacturer that makes incredible discs, consistent, 
and they fly good. When you when you're putting at disc golf, and again the three discs I learned were the driver, a middle one that I don't know the name right now, or the mid range, and then uh, the putter. Yep. So that uh, I mean the driver kind of is like okay, it's kind of like like in regular golf where you mm-hmm. like you try to hit mm-hmm. it as far as you can. Yep. And so the driver, it's I, I'm assuming you know that it's like try to throw it as far as you can. But also, like, oh, and we're speaking of, like, when you guys throw, like, I, we were talking off air, like, what yeah. my perception was, throwing a Frisbee at a, uh, uh, on the beach, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And then I started watching all these videos, and, man, you guys really, like, really throw yeah. it out there. Like, it's just, like, whole five out, wait, go. There's a whole body twist to it, and then mm-hmm. a step up, and then a body twist. And then I saw, you know, there was like, hey, this golf for beginners. And there was like a guy that said, you pull it in this way and mm-hmm. throw out, like, mm-hmm. and then do your wrist thing. But, you know, that's just where I was at. But yeah, I was just impressed. Like, there's a whole body movement to it. And then I started seeing for putting. I, I think it was Paige Pierce that I saw it do. It was Paige. Yeah. The way, the way you're just about to. You know, go up there like yes. this. Paige does this little flip, and then she puts the disc. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 it Paige. A white right? stance, that's funny. right? Yeah, she has yep. like yep. she has a white stance. Okay, is is that just her move, or is that like a thing that everybody does? No, so that 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 style of it is kind of just her move. That's kind of like a signature thing she does. It's uh, in disc golf. The funny thing about it is, you're not going to find two people that look exactly the same on the disc golf course because everyone's body works in a different way. And so the way I play the game is going to be different than the way Paul Macbeth plays the game. The way I line up a shot, the way I throw a shot is going to be different than every other person out in the disc golf world right now. So Paige, for her to be comfortable when she's putting, she brings up her putter above her head. She kind of flips it out really quick, and then she brings it back to her body and tries to go forward to the basket. I think the reason being why she brings it above her head like that is it's telling her don't miss low. And so when she starts her disc kind of up high, she wants it to end up high. So when you're sitting there and you tell your body to do something, if you practice doing it first, your body kind of has a muscle memory. It has like a uh, like a little twitch in it in a sense where it's like, oh, I just did that once. Now I want to do it again. And so that's why she does it. Not a lot of players do that. You could probably find someone else in the world who does something similar to that. But um. Yeah, the cool thing is every every player is different. Every person you ever watch on YouTube is going to be different than the next one. So you have all these different styles of the way people play, which is cool. Is it also a lot like, again, regular golf, but also mm-hmm. baseball and, and volleyball, where like the way you're positioning your hips, that's where like the ball is going to go? Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. That's how you're lining it up. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's exactly how you're lining it up. You know, like a baseball player, if you're a right-handed baseball player, you're lining up with your left foot first and then your right foot behind it. And then depending on how you want to hit the ball, you're going to move that left leg. If you want to hit it towards left field, you're going to move it out. If you want to hit it straight, you're going to move it in. If you want to hit it you know, to the opposite side field, you're going to kind of have more of an inside stance to it. It's the same thing in disc golf where if I want a shot to do a certain thing, I have to line my body up in that same way. My shoulders, my hips, my back, they all need to be facing a certain direction for the disc to do what I want it to do. Now, does it always do that? No, but that's kind of the general idea of it. And then uh, courses, 
because I've seen the courses here in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Some of them look like there's trees in the middle of the way. You're like, is that purposely done? Those, yeah, those are the best courses. The more trees, the better. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a happy medium of it. So uh, every course is different. Uh, certain regions of the United States have uh, different types of courses. A lot of courses now that, you know, the pro tour is playing are styled to be more open courses, not as many trees, little, you know, like players who can throw further, enjoy these courses more. They have, excuse me, I would say a little bit more of an advantage, uh, but it's huge for the spectators, people who want to come out and watch it. If you're playing a course that, you know, there's a million trees in the fairway, it's tough for spectators to watch it because it's so clumped together. But I grew up in the New England area. I grew up playing wooded disc golf because there's so many woods out there. And so for me personally, when I go out and play disc golf, I, I love trees. I love having a, an obstacle. Shape my shot. Yeah, exactly. I love having to say, you know, hey, the tree that's right in the middle of the fairway, I got to go left of that, but then I got to bend the disc back to the right. And then I need to finish at the left at the end of it. We call that kind of an S curve. That's what I love. I don't care to go out to courses where I'm throwing distance driver off of every single tee. And then, you know, I've got to throw a fairway driver on my upshot. And then I, you know, hopefully I'm close enough to try to make a putt. Those courses kind of bore me. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of courses are like that now. So when I play bigger events, I adapt, I overcome, you know, that's kind of the name of the disc golf. Every, every golfer is the same way. Every course is set up differently than the, you know, the one they played the previous weekend. But yeah, courses that have a lot of trees on them, those are my friends. I like those ones. How do we get for the organization to not ruin this golf by making them too open? So I, I say that you know, I say that jokingly because I yeah. do I do like the fact you know, I think that's one of the things that interests me was that the obstacle of going mm-hmm. around the tree. And I've you know, I've seen some of y'all's videos where you can, you know, you throw it. And that this looks like it's going one way for for a while like this, mm-hmm. and then just puts back in. It's like, yeah. yeah, that is hardcore. Like I love seeing that. Yeah, uh, so when it's like, when you describe an open field, and it's obviously when you're doing tournaments or or yeah. things like that, and they have an open field, it kind of loses that. Like like you said, like they're just for as yeah. far as you can throw it, the closest exactly. to the basket. So. Uh... Some are, some open courses are fun. I think, you know, ultimately the way to counteract that is, you know, don't switch every single disc golf course into a golf course style. You know, we don't want all of them to be open. Every professional would say the same thing. There are certain professionals who enjoy the open courses a little bit more because they play better at them. And there's a ton of professionals who like the wooded courses more because that's what they enjoy playing. They think there's more of a skill gap in between those Um but there are, you know, plenty of players out in the world who throw a lot further than me who excel at those open courses. I think for the way to, you know, in our governing body, when we're thinking about what a disc golf course should be, if you're ever on YouTube and this is whoever's listening to the show, if you look up the Green Mountain Championships, it's a tournament that's held up in Vermont. It's two of my favorite courses to ever play. One of the rounds you play in a course that is all wooded. They have really, really clean fairways but there's so many trees to try to get around on certain holes, but they have a very clean cut fairway to where this is where I need to throw it. If I throw it bad, I'm going to end up in the trees. If I throw it good, I'm going to maneuver all around them. Uh, And then their second course is more of an open style one with beautiful grass fairways, long shots, a lot of out of bounds. And it's the perfect mixture 
of one wooded, one slightly more open. And if every disc golf tournament could be ran like the Green Mountain Championships are, I'd be the happiest disc golfer in the world. I would never, ever complain about anything. But I'm here in Belton, Texas, playing a tournament where, you know, I like the course. It's it's okay. There's a couple really fun holes that I enjoy, but there's a lot of boring holes to where it's, you know, it favors big arm players, especially here in Texas. It's very windy. And uh, there's not like that wow factor to me. There's one or two holes that I'm like, man, that's a really good hole. But the rest of them, I'm kind of like, that's eh, a little boring. So some tournaments are going to be like that. And it's, it's the fun part about being a professional. You get to travel around to courses where, you know, say next year, I'm planning out my 2023 schedule. I may say, you know what? I didn't care for Belton last year. I'm not going to go to it. Now, I hope that's not the case. I actually, you know, I want to play every single big event that happens. But this course doesn't wow me like a different course would. Like, I like the course that we just played in Waco better than this course. I think it's more fun. It's more technical. And to me, it's more enjoyable. But there could be another pro out there. There's probably 100 pros out there who would say, oh, I'd much rather play here in Belton than back up in Waco. So it's kind of, you got to have a good mix. But I will say this. The best thing about open courses is the spectators get to enjoy an incredible show. You know, with disc golf, the crowds are really, really fun. A lot of people are coming out to events now. And so having an open style course where spectators can stand on the sides of the fairways is an awesome thing. Playing in front of fans is an incredible, incredible feeling. And so open courses obviously will allow more fans to be present at those events. So speaking about fans, like, do do they get to go and get a little bit rowdy? Dare I say too hard, too fast? So some people, I will say there, there are some fans out there who have definitely gone too hard, too fast. They've gone too hard, too fast. Uh, fortunately, the sport, you know, years and years ago, and it probably still does. It's got a persona of being more of like kind of like a beer league sport. A lot of your buddies will go out and they want to drink beers during the casual rounds. Fortunately, I, and believe me, I enjoy doing that. I like going out and playing casual rounds with certain friends. I love sitting there and having a beer with them. It's just a good time. We all enjoy it. Uh, on the professional stage of things, the tournaments have become so, I would say, a lot better when it comes to the professionalism where fans, if you throw a good shot, they're going to get rowdy. They're going to get loud. You can look up one of the greatest shots, probably the greatest shot that's ever happened in disc golf last year from the world championships, it made ESPN, made sports center, all these big things. And you see a shirtless dude wearing tie dye or excuse me, an American flag short you know he's wearing american flag stamp shorts and this incredible shot goes in at the world championships and he's running around like a madman and it dude it's it's awesome because it's such like a such like a cool thing and it's funny because golf is getting to be like that a little bit you know people they're heckling people they're yelling they're cheering for the really good shots disc golf has such like a cool persona of like you'll have plenty of fans sitting there drinking it's like anything, though. You go to a live concert, you get too drunk, you're gone. You know, if someone calls it out, security comes over, boom, you're gone. But fortunately, I haven't had to deal with any of that personally. But I'm sure at a tournament somewhere, someone went too hard too fast and, you know, got kicked <laughs> and, out. <laughs> and that's that's when you know the sport has has been approved by, by the U.S. when you have that guy and his dad bod yeah. and mm-hmm. U.S. Uh, Speedos. Mm-hmm going crazy dude that's that's awesome yeah it it was awesome it's there's so many videos i see that shot all the time when it comes up to like disc golf highlights and you see the same guy running around the fairway after this (laughs) massive you know it was like 200 
250 feet, whatever, 270 feet. I forget exactly how much it was, but a player threw this incredible shot to push a playoff at the world championships. And everyone just went, I'll tell you this. Everyone just went fucking ballistic. Insanely. Dude, it was, it was incredible for that was in Utah last year. I was out there for the world championships. It was sick. But for the most part, like, do you guys follow the rule of, you know, keeping quiet while somebody's about to like, yep. like a, do you call it teeing off too? Yeah, teeing off. Yeah, exactly. So if, if someone's teeing off, you know, let's say, you know, when I was in Waco, I had an incredible first round and I was fortunate enough to make the lead card. So I was, you know, I was tied for the lead after round oh, one. And I got to start with that, which I think is super yeah. weird. But all right. So anyway, so I'm playing really well at this tournament for the first round. And when we get to the second round, the announcer will call off, you know, tie for the, your co-leader, Paul Macbeth, your co-leader, Luke Humphreys, and then your co-leader, Nicholas Carl. And so every single time everyone starts cheering, they get happy. And then the second that I step up to the tee pad and I look like I'm about to throw my shot, dead silence. No one's making a sound. You know, you could hear crickets. If someone's phone went off, you know, a hundred feet away, you'd be able to hear it. And the second I throw my shot, if it's a good one, people start clapping. If it's a bad one, you know, if say I went out of bounds in a shot, people would say, oh, you know, you can hear all that. And so disc golfers, uh, disc golf fans, I should say, have become incredible when it comes to if a player is about to throw a shot, it's dead silent. And you get a couple of people here and there who don't know what's going on, you know, whatever. But for the most part, Sam teeing off, Sam about to try to make a putt, dead silence. It's kind of it's kind of weird sometimes with no sound whatsoever. And you're like, oh, shit, these people are all watching me do this. And, <laughs> like yeah. judging. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, yeah. There's, well, I went to this um, – I went to actually like a golf tournament here. They, it's the Valero Open. It's uh, I guess it's – I don't know if it's like PGA high or whatever, but I guess big names come here. But, again, I'm not a big uh, golf fan, yep. uh, ball golf fan. But um, – I was invited and I went and I was like super surprised with how much alcohol there was there. Yeah. And how yeah, many yeah. people were like drinking. And, mm-hmm. but I, you know, like everybody's following their golfer and hold a hole, hold a hole. But then so when they're about to tee off, all the drunks, even most of them, they're like quiet. Yeah. They're so yeah. focused in. Yeah. yeah, dude. It's, okay, it's, dude. it's a cool feeling. Yeah. You go from like, what to, yeah, and then like you said, there's like one or two that like, oh, they didn't realize that it's yeah. going on. And you get the they're people. paying attention to something else. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like oh, yo, yo, take it easy for a second. <laughs> yeah. So I did. I when I was looking at disco, a lot of people that were you know the videos that I was seeing, they were saying how like a lot of disc golfers like their music. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe they like, maybe it's like a party the whole time. So like the even teeing off, putting. Halfway through the course, like I feel like maybe everybody's just having a good time. Mm-hmm. But you know, knowing now that everybody's quiet, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh you know, you get certain tournaments where like, you know, at this tournament over by the practice area for the pros, they were doing some vending, there were some food trucks, and they were casually playing music and it was pretty close to hole one. But you know, as as a professional, you you tune out all the noise. If you if you let the noise get to you, you're not gonna succeed. And so you kind of just tune everything out. So people could be, you know, when you play casual rounds with buddies, especially if you're hanging out, drinking, having a good time, whenever I'm playing, people are walking by the basket, people are talking, you're having conversation, you're not dead silent. And so, 
you know, at sometimes it's almost too quiet. You know, I, I kind of told myself if I was ever going to, you know, make a lead card appearance, like I did, I always want to kind of be like happy Gilmore to where it's like, you know, come on, let's make some noise, you know? Oh, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And, uh, I, th- I guess I was just so caught up in the moment. I actually didn't do that. I wasn't playing that great anyways, but, uh, it was kind of, it was weird. Like I almost want that cheering factor. I want that hypeness, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And you know what? I'll say this since you kind of brought it up, like you posted earlier, you know, a picture and dude, it kind of like, it, it didn't bum me out, but it kind of like, I was like, Oh fuck, I feel bad. You know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because here's my weird story. I said that I was I had with it. So I saw that Paul Macbeth was like really like supporting you, and I was like, oh man, I I wanted to see if he would be interested in, on the podcast. So I started drafting my message to you on my notes before I sent it to you because I you know I don't want to sound like a complete idiot yeah, <laughs> messaging yeah. you. So like I drafted out, and then. Obviously, I I had I think at the time I had really only our I had like I said Paige Pierce and Paul Macbeth, and then they don't follow any other kind of like disc golf stuff like any organization things like that. I knew you guys were at Waco, but um, don't follow the Waco thing at all uh, or Paige. I mean. But then, obviously, how this internet works, everybody's listening or watching what you say. Yeah. So it pops up, you know, your name. I think, uh, was it Luke Humphreys? Or... Yep. Here's one of the other guys, yeah. Yeah, so it was the three of you were mentioned. I was like, dude, I'm right now I'm just trying to message this guy. He's like, yeah. he's in the lead card. No way he's going to want to do the podcast now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So it was like, I haven't even sent the message. So it was one of those, like, the fuck are you doing phone <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was yeah like weird it's like i'm trying to get him on him haven't even really messaged him and it's already coming up you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. Fun. congrats on that but you know like i said you posted that you know this message where you said you mentioned the word failure and i think it sparked sparked some words from maybe some of your uh uh yeah well, i don't know what to call them competitors yeah, competitors and friends yeah competitors and friends so uh Paul Macbeth, like I said earlier, I think he's the greatest of all time when it comes to the sport. Uh, Paul Macbeth is also my best friend. Uh, him and I have been friends since 2015 at this point, so about seven years. And so his wife, Hannah, I've known her for almost 14 or 15 years, dating back to when I lived in Massachusetts. Uh, her and I were friends, had a lot of the same friend group. We started playing disc golf together, just became you know great great friends and then ultimately she started dating paul i became friends with him and then since since then our friendship has grown into i've traveled with him before i've lived at his house before i've lived at him you know i've lived with him in an apartment before and so that that's that's my dude you know when i'm out on the road that's that's one of the few people that i can fully trust with you know anything that i tell them anything like that like that's my guy and so this was the first tournament that i've ever played well enough to be able to play with them on a lead card at a top tier event. It's an elite series event. One of the most professional ones out there. And so uh, I, I played great the first round and I played like crap the second round. I mean, ultimately whoever listens to this podcast, like, you know, I didn't play great the second or third round. I had one good round, two bad rounds. And so when I made a post saying, you know, 
pretty much I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Three words that come to mind are my failures, my motivation, and my aspirations. And my goal is not to go to the event and make the lead card. My goal is to go to an event and win that event. So I failed when it came to one of my goals. Because of that failure, it creates a motivation. Now I'm motivated to where, okay, I know I can compete with these guys at the right course. I know I can play pretty well with them when my time is there. So my motivation sets into where like, all right, I got to practice more. I got to build that consistency. My admiration in that aspect is I admired every single person that was out there when it came to support. I aspire to be someone who, you know, growing up, I'll kind of, I'll put in the aspirations in this growing up. I always wanted to be someone where if I was walking down the street, Someone saw me, they'd be like, man, that's Nick Carl. I've always thought that was like kind of a cool feeling of that's what I want. And when I was a kid, I played the piano and I was an above average piano player, but I can't sing. But I always wanted to be a musician, like a Billy Joel kind of person. Billy Joel is one of my favorite artists out there, but I can't sing like Billy Joel. And I definitely cannot play the piano like Billy Joel. And so uh, those dreams kind of you know got shot real quick. But when disc golf became a thing, I... I practiced hard enough to make a name for myself in Massachusetts. I met the right people, which ended up making me a decently well-known disc golfer when it came to, you know, people all over the country. I host a rather large podcast. And so people, when I finished my second round, I, I didn't play well. I was bummed out about it, but I still had high, you know, spirits. I'm not someone who is going to go kicking around a tree. I'm not going to break a broomstick, throw it in the woods and, anything like that. So, uh, I sat down uh, the the price is right guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I ain't punching Bob Barker. The price is wrong, bitch. So, or, or, you know, you carry now. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and after the rounds, the top professionals, you, you go to what's called the autograph tent. And so I was talking to my buddy, Paul, Paul Macbeth. And I was like, hey, man, let me know what you want to do for dinner. Like, you know, let me know when you're finished up with this. He's like, no, 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 sit down for a little bit. Come on. And I said, dude, people don't want my autograph right now. Like, come on. I just played like dog shit. Like, people don't want it. I sat down and almost every single person that came through that line, they had Paul sign their disc first. And they came right up to me saying, hey, man, can you please sign this? I love your podcast. I love what you're doing for the sport. Uh, You know, I'm so proud of you that you made that lead card, you know, and I wish you the best, you know, doing that in the future. And so it's kind of a... You know, I'm ins- I- I'm inspired and I aspire to be someone who makes that spot more often. So a, a lot of people read my text. One of one of one of the biggest comments on my text was from a really good buddy of mine named Simon Lazat. And he had said, call him out. But yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> he, he's he's one of my closest friends, too. I I love that dude. He's awesome. Him and his fiance, incredible people. And um, and so he made a comment back just saying like, oh, so you consider making the lead card and playing the best round of your life a failure, yada, yada, yada. Everyone makes the lead card at least once or, you know, a lot of people make the lead card once and then blow up afterwards. And that kind of like it missed the point that I was trying to get. But at the same time, I need to be at a point in my career to where like I don't need to please everyone with what I say. I know what I meant. My buddies know what I meant. And so so many people liked that comment. I think there's probably 200 likes on it right now. And it was kind of like, you're missing the point. Like my goal wasn't to go out to an event and just make a lead card. My goal was 
to go out to that event and try to win it. I put myself in the position to potentially win this massive tournament. And then I sucked for two rounds. So it's like I failed in that aspect of it. And I can say, believe me, I, I say it. I, I sucked the second two rounds, which is unfortunate because of how well I played the first round and how well I know I can play that course. You know, say I shot what I did the first round. I shot eight down, eight down, eight down for the previous, you know, the next two rounds. You know, technically that wins the tournament. Clearly everything plays different when you're in a different situation. But in that regards, that's where I say I failed. And I, I know how I can play as a person. People are like, oh man, you're losing confidence. You're losing all these things. Like, don't do that. It's going to be detrimental to your career. I'm not losing confidence. How I know I can play disc golf. Yeah. I'm just saying I, I failed with my goal. It's like any, I, like I said, I'm watching the last dance. Michael Jordan will say he, he failed at hitting the game winning shot. How many times, you know, he failed at making it to the NBA championships. How many times doesn't matter whether he was injured or not. He didn't make the NBA championships every single season that he played. And so he would consider those seasons a failure. It doesn't matter if he was the all-time leading point scorer or anything like that. Like for me as a disc golfer, I, I don't give a shit if I lead the tournament in aces or birdie percentage, anything like that. All I want to see at the end of a tournament is a one next to my name. That's that's what I like. I don't the money is, you know, if you win a tournament, the money's great. It helps you out. I'm not doing it for the money in a sense. If I wanted to make a ton of money, I'd go work the job that I used to make, or I'd go back to college, get a degree in, you know, graphic design, or I'd get a degree in cybersecurity or anything like that. I, you know, I know people, I know people who work in the cybersecurity world, they make a million dollars a year, you know, and he, you know, they never went to college. So it's like, if I started right now, maybe in 10 years, I could work my way up and get to that point. But for me personally, I don't want to sit at a desk the rest of my life. That's just, it's not, not what seems enjoyable to me. I've always told people this when they say, you know, oh, you quit your job. You know, what's it like? I'm like, you know what? I'd rather make $30,000 a year playing disc golf than $70,000 a year working my balls off to make someone else rich. That's just always how I've been to where, you know, I want to create a life for myself. I only get to live once, you know, biggest thing you only live once. I want to create a happy life for me to where in 40 years, 50 years, when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old, I can look back and say, you know, man, I did some pretty badass things. I get to say I made the lead card at an elite series event. And you can look at 90% of the disc golfers that play at these big events and not a single one of them can also say that same exact thing. So I got to do it. I played like shit the second two rounds. Or even at the very least, like, yeah, there's a lot of people cannot say that they followed what they really loved. Yeah. You know, not a lot of people exactly. can have the guts to take the the decision you made to quit your paying job, your nice paying job mm-hmm. to something where it's like, fuck, I don't know if I'm going to, if, if this is going to happen for me or not, yeah. but I'm going to try it. And yep. you know what? You're, you're here in this point. Exactly. Um, and, I gave myself you know, kind of a timeline. Yeah. I, oh, oh, you gave yourself a timeline. Like if, if, not, not, not like a timeline in the sense of like, you know, oh, in three years, if I don't do well, it's just more um, like, hey, man, I got, I got, you know, I'm 27 years old right now. There are players still well within their 30s who are still winning massive tournaments. I was like, I kind of gave myself a goal of like within the next three years, I'm going to kick some ass. I'm going to make a name for myself and I'm going to win a big tournament. I don't care which one it is. I know I'm going to win one of them within the next three years. So that's about when I'll be 30 to 31 years old. Then at that point, you win one big tournament. It changes your whole career. 
you know, if I, if I go to tournaments, I get top five at every single one of them, top 10, my brand slowly builds up. My following slowly builds up to where now I, now I can invest in other opportunities to where, you know, like I have an apparel company. This week was, you know, the first week that we launched when I was in Waco just so happened to be the week that I make a lead card coverage. And I got to wear one of the shirts that I designed. I helped make, I, you know, talked with our graphic designer and, you know, someone who does all the sublimation for it. And I say, this is what I'm going to wear. I got to rep all my sponsors that I have on it. And so it was kind of like perfect timing to play well in an event. (laughs) I just wish, excuse me. I just wish that I played well the second two rounds too. No, I mean, and you can tell, you can tell, Right now, with your like, just you talking about it, like talking about just the the passion that you have for this call, also talking about your performance and at Waco, you can tell like even from your eyes, they, they went from like casual conversation. I'm talking yeah. to you, I'm having a good time on this podcast, but yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no, motherfucker, now you got me going, and you can see that fire <laughs> yeah, in your eyes. You know? Yeah, we're uh, we're about to have some fighting words. Not look, look, but uh, so many so many people have come up to me and they said, "Hey, man, you know, great job at Waco." I'm like. Dog, that that was that was shit. Like yeah, I played well, one. I was like, I played one good round, which was great. Don't get me wrong. I, I played the round of my life at the time that I needed to do it, and then I played like crap the next two rounds, which those were the most important rounds. Um, one of my buddies would tell me this. He's like, look at it in reverse. Say I played two really bad rounds to start the tournament, and then played one really good round to end the tournament. I still land at the same spot. I'm still disappointed in myself. Like, yeah, was it cool to do it the first round? It was incredible. It was a great feeling. I got to play disc golf in front of hundreds of people. Thousands of people have watched me. When you look at the coverage on YouTube, there's probably over like 400,000 views on my coverage that I was in for round two. That's great. That's awesome. It helps out me. It helps out my brand. But that's not what it's about in a sense. You know, like I said, I want to see a one next to my name, not a 61. You know, yeah, that kind of sucks. You had also mentioned something about like, I care about the accolades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, the things yeah. that I can, the things that I'm achieving, and the performance. Yeah. And I think you know where the whole thing got caught up was people saw two things. The, uh, people saw the word failure, mm-hmm. and had a trigger for that, mm-hmm. and other people saw the aspiration or motivation part of it, yeah. and had a trigger for that. So when I was going down through the comments, it was very like balanced on what you know the yeah. person what triggered that person and uh-huh. their comment to it yeah. on my end, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to ask you when you come on the podcast. And so I was like, mm-hmm. ask him about Waco, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that post I was like, do not ask him about Waco. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I'm t- I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm one of the uh, few people out in the disc golf world. I would say that, you know, even if I play like crap, I'll tell you this, I'm going to go to the next tournament with a smile on my face. I love what I get to do with my life. I love the people that I get to enjoy my life with to where it's in the past. Now I did a cool thing. I didn't follow it up with any cool things this week. I'm focused on Belton. Like Bill Pelichick would say, like onto the next one, onto the Seahawks, onto the Rams, anything like that. Like I'm on to Belton right now. That's what I'm thinking about. That's where I want to compete. Well, at. I didn't compete well at Waco. I know that it's done. I'll see that for the rest of my life. I'm on to the next one. That's the cool thing about disc Learn golf. From is, it and then apply it somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, hey, what did I do wrong? Like, let me, you know, you can look back at my round two on the coverage. I was a little bit off on every single shot that I threw. 
You know, if I threw it five feet higher in the air on one hole, I would have been great. If I threw it five feet shorter on a hole, I would have been great. But I literally did all the wrong things at the wrong time when I needed to do all the right things at the right time. So that's just, yeah, I, I have zero issue talking about what happened at Waco. And I would say there are certain disc golfers out there where if you tried to bring up, you know, an event that they played bad at, I'd be like, you know, or they'd be like, you know, oh, why are you bringing this up? The, you know, yeah. delete the whole thing. No, it ain't going to be like that with me. I'll tell you that. So let's turn it into a positive. Talk to me about your brand. You just are your clothing brand. Yeah. So um, me and a couple of buddies out in Virginia, we started up a company called Discura. It's D-I-S-C-U-R-A. And it's a company that we're really, really focused on bringing more safe apparel into the disc golf world. And so I'll kind of relate it to the easiest possible way. If you look at players in the fishing industry, professional fishers, whether it's kayak boats, anything like that, they're out fishing from sunup to sundown in disc golf and golf. You're out playing your respected sport. The second the sun comes up when the weather's nice, you're out there practicing. You're in the sun all day. I mean, if I took off my hat right now, you would see a, a nice little tan line where I got a white forehead, but my face is decently getting, you know, getting a little tan. Well, that, same thing we'll with my, also see a sweet ass mullet. Yes, you will. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and same thing with my arms, you know, like if I'm wearing short sleeves, I'm out there in the sun all day. I'm not carrying suntan lotion with me or sunblock, anything like that. Because if I was to put that on, I go ahead, put it on my arms, whatever. Now my hands are all disgusting. I can't hold the disc. I'm not going to be able to throw it the way I want to throw it. And so with Discura, excuse me, with Discura, we're coming out with UPF protected solar apparel that allows a player to wear, let's say, a long sleeve, lightweight hoodie. Very comfortable. Like I said, it's lightweight. It's not binding anywhere where you know it can't be binding. And you get to go out and know that because I'm wearing this, it feels like I'm still in the sun, but my body's not getting hit by all these ultraviolet rays. And, you know, sun is good for your body, but too much sun can be detrimental. I mean, look at, uh, you know, yeah. anyone who has Especially skin if you're cancer. you're not wearing anything to like, like you said, like uh, sun exactly. tan or sun Yep, exactly. And, and, you know, suntan lasts for a little while, but when you're in the sun all freaking day, like let's say, let's say I go to the beach. I put on suntan right before I, or excuse me, sunblock right before I go out and lay down, sit down, whatever. Within probably 20, 30 minutes, because it's 100 degrees, I got to put on more and I got to keep doing that all day. As a professional disc golfer, I don't want lotion on my hands. That's going to make it so I can't throw for shit. And so the main idea with this company is to bring very, very safe apparel that's also comfortable. It's also stylish. People will want to wear it because of the safety aspect. And then because it looks good. And so one of the things like right now that we're doing is we've come out with long sleeve holer, uh, excuse me, long sleeve solar hoodies. We've come out with long sleeve regular shirts, just crew necks, but they're long sleeve. And we've also come out with short sleeve to where most of your body is being protected by the sun. Your arms are still exposed, but there are times, I mean, man, when it's a hundred degrees, you don't want to wear a long sleeve. You want to go out, but you still got to be safe. And so a majority of your body is, within this kind of UPF protection, be smart about yourself after, the, you know, after the fact, but like we're right now, one of the sweatshirts that I'm wearing, it's just, you know, this is my company. If I look at it, Tenskiro. Um, this is just a fleece sweatshirt. It's, it's part of our lifestyle brand. 
And so when I'm hanging out doing a podcast, when I'm hanging out, say I go to the movies or something, I'm going to wear something more casual. I want to wear lifestyle stuff. So we have lifestyle long sleeves, lifestyle short sleeve, lifestyle hoodies. And then this hat, this is my, this is my logo. It's a knight with the initials oh, NC. Dang, dude. That yeah. is awesome. So I have a, uh, I have a tattoo of a knight on my right arm. And so when I was building kind of like my brand and what I wanted out of my own logo, I didn't want just the initials. So many people are doing that in the world right now. I wanted something to go with it. And so a knight was kind of the perfect thing. We made the initials inside of the knight. So you can see that it says NC school night. Whenever we put it on this charcoal gray hoodie that we have, we call it the dark night. I mean, it's, it's pretty badass. And so, uh, yeah, it's pretty I, much I've the been, biggest I mean, I've, I've been staring at the at the night the, almost this whole, obviously, yeah. this whole time. Yeah, yeah. I never once noticed the NC. And now that you pointed yeah. out, I was like, when you put it, that, yeah. yeah, yeah, when you put it closer, you can actually, you can realistically see it right in the face. Yeah, like I mean, this. now, and now I can't unsee yeah. it. But yep. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a badass night. That's I a wonder, plan. Yeah. <laughs> now, that I, now that I know that's a, that is. That is fucking awesome. Yeah, That's yeah, dude, it's sweet. And uh, I got a great group of guys that we're doing this with, and we've got advertisement on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. We're putting ourselves out there. We have a team full of disc golfers that are out there repping their local areas, going out to their events who we want to help out because ultimately it helps us out. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of it's the main thing with it right now. I, I want to bring the best apparel to disc golf. I mean, one of the biggest competitors kind of in disc golf is let's say Nike, Adidas, Puma, Under Armour. They've been coming out with golf, you know, golf apparel for years. We're just now getting into it. But the really awesome thing about disc golfers is disc golfers want to help other disc golfers. So, excuse me, when I say, you know, hey, we're coming out with these badass polos, people love to support other disc golf companies. And so it's a really cool thing. Like I, I just... I want to give back to a sport that's given me so much. I, I've I've gotten to a point with it to where I can actually live without working that full time job. I can excuse me because it is a full time job. I can go out and do that job that's not a nine to five where I'm sitting at a desk. I used to work as a car service advisor, seven thirty to five thirty, ten hours every single day, telling people, "Hey, you brought your car in for an oil change, but you actually need a head gasket." Then I get you know sworn at and. You know, yeah. people hate me because I'm just trying to do my job. Now at this point, I go out, I try to do my job, and it's fun. Yeah, I, I enjoy people it, like it, and respect it, and they want your autograph. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of a weird <laughs> thing. Every single time someone says, "You know, can I get your autograph?" I'm like, "Thank you." Like, I appreciate that. I I say thank you to them when they, you know, when they're walking away. I'm like, "Hey, thank you. I appreciate that." They're like, "No, seriously, dude, thank you." And I'm like, "I'm just an average guy who." You know, sometimes plays disc golf well, and I host a podcast. I've been in some cool YouTube videos, and you know, that's always that's always yeah. been like a super crazy interest. No, I don't know if it's interest, but like I've always like wonder how somebody feels. Like you know, I've I've been lucky to have super or pretty famous people on the mm-hmm. podcast, or people that are famous in their profession. Yeah. Um, so my thing is always like, obviously nobody's asking for my autograph, not yet, but yeah. uh, but it's always so weird, like, because I, I get I get okay. Let me ask you this actually: <clears throat> when you give, nah, maybe I shouldn't. That should no, go for it. Go. We'll edit it out if it's okay, if okay. it's a if shitty it's question. Not, we'll edit it, it out. 
Well, half the questions are shitty, yeah. but uh, no, so, uh, great. Come on. I've always wanted to ask, but I in in the moment I always forget. But now that we're talking about that, I have to sign a lot of stuff for my day job. Mm-hmm. But I get weirded out because that goes to somebody uh, that are probably not always happy with me. So I don't want them to have my real signature. So mm-hmm. I just do like initials now. Okay. So then when I'm thinking, dude, if I if I ever make it big and people actually want my autograph, is there somebody that's telling them, hey, you need to switch up your signature from your autograph? You know? So, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll explain it. I think this is kind of the best way I can explain it is uh, normally like in a professional setting, if someone's calling out my name, they've never met me before. I prefer, excuse me, I like being called Nicholas, like Nicholas Carl. Whenever I would sign a credit card receipt, anything like that, it would be Nicholas J. Carl. My middle name is John. Always respected that. So it was always Nicholas J. Carl. In the disc golf world, I'm known as Nick Carl. It just flows smooth. I very rarely ever get called Nick. I never get called Nicholas in the disc golf world unless it's by close friends of mine. And so I used to sign, if I ever sold an autograph, excuse me, if I ever signed an autograph years ago, it would be under Nicholas J. Carl. And then over this past year, now that I'm developing more of my own brand, it's Nick Carl. So whenever I sign a disc now, it's just Nick Carl, because that's, that's how I'm known. That's like, it's, it's funny when I made, when I made the coverage, when I made the lead card, the commentators would keep saying, oh, and Nicholas Carl, you know, shot well, first round, you know, tied for first place. People would text me being like, yo, they keep calling you Nicholas. Can you tell them to like, call you Nick Carl, like not (laughs) Nicholas. And so in the disc golf world, I signed stuff, uh, Nick Carl, if I'm signing someone's disc or a hat or something like that, if I go out to dinner and I'm signing my receipt for the debit card that I use, it's Nicholas J. Carl. And you ever, you never mix it around. Like it's already been ingrained in you. No, not really. I mean, it's pretty easy enough to where it's like, I, in a professional setting, I prefer to be called Nicholas, especially if it's someone like, like when I'm uh, in disc golf, when you get your name announced, you're teeing off. They'll say, and from Paxton, Massachusetts, Nicholas Carl. Like that to me sounds more professional than kind of my nickname in a sense. And so that's where like, that's a setting where I really like it. But when people come up to me and they say, Nick Carl, I, I love it. Like that's, that's how I'm known in the disc golf world is as Nick Carl. And it flows good. Like if somebody's, somebody's announcer, Nick Carl. Yeah. It's just, I don't <laughs> know. It just, you know, from Paxton, cause like I live in Virginia now. But I'm not from Virginia. I'm from yeah. Massachusetts. I lived there my whole life. I'll always rep Massachusetts. That's you know that's my home. I'd like to eventually in the summertime retire in Massachusetts. In the wintertime, Florida. But for the most part, Massachusetts will always be kind of my place. And so you know, a lot of players will move to a different state, and then all of a sudden it's you know, here is John Doe from Idaho, and then two years later it's like here is John Doe from Florida, and I'm like you're not from Florida. You just live there. So come on. Like or, or where they, you're from when they do like the John Doe from Idaho, uh, from Florida by way of Idaho. Yeah. When they add that exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, he's, he, he lives here. John Doe lives in Florida, but from Idaho. And, yeah. <laughs> nah, I just keep oh. it all as Massachusetts. Perfect. That, that autograph thing kind of, I forgot I was going to ask you something else and I just already lost out, but. No, too hard too fast <laughs> too hard too fast 
Um, oh, that's what I, I just remembered. Your sweater, the scooter. So, or sorry, I said it. No, yeah, the- you you said it. Yeah, you no, you actually said it perfect. It's discura. So, um, yeah, people say discura, like discura, discura, like. I, as well, long as you're kind of like getting the idea of it, it's perfect. Here's why I said it that way, because in Spanish, you know, Spanish slang, like we'll say, like when we, if we have like a really delicious meal, mm-hmm. like there's a slang word where it's a, una, it's delicia, una delicia. So it's like, it's just slang to yeah. say like, yeah, it was yeah. really delicious. So when you, when you say you have discura, I saw it and I was like, discura, like it almost sounds like a, mm-hmm a delicious something or something cool, yeah. you know, it's, so it's una descura. Like you could yeah. say, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I love it. That's all. I'm going to have to clip this and send it to my buddies and be like, bro, this is, this is perfect. I like this. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what it remind, yeah. remind, remind, remind yeah, me. Yeah. So to me in that Spanish slang, it's a positive, like a huge positive. Awesome. So that's it. what I was going to say, but Appreciate I, it. you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. I think we've been talking for a good while. Yeah. And I, like I said, I appreciate that you even came on. No, uh, absolutely. I, no, I appreciate you reaching out. It was funny. I was actually, so when we got into Belton, I think you had already messaged me and I was going through my messages because this is going to sound super conceited and I hope it doesn't, but like I've gotten hundreds of messages recently. And uh, so I actually, I don't go through all the comments of everything. I've learned that very early on of becoming more of a well-known figure in a sport. Like you don't go through all the comments. Cause you got keyboard warriors, people trash on your life, whatever. It's just, it's tough for your yeah. mental health. But I always, if I have an Instagram notification in my messages, I always make sure to go look at it. If I don't want to respond to you, I just won't respond to you. I'll delete it. And it'll be like, it was never there. Yeah. Um, but no, I appreciate you reaching out and asking me beyond. I think this is awesome. It's cool to, you know, hopefully to whoever's listening it. I, and I, w- I would tell this to you. Disc golf is a very cheap sport. If you want to play it casually. And so it's one of the most things, most fun things to go out, be active and, you know, go drink beers with your buddies. I mean, a ton of disc golfers I know, they literally love it because they're school teachers. They get to go out, smoke some pot, play some disc golf. I mean, it's not how I do it. I do it in a more professional way. It's just those damn school teachers, man. Yeah, I did. I hear you. So but like when I go out and play golf, dude, I, I buy as many Budweiser's or Bud Lights as I can. I stuff them all into my golf bag and I'm trashed by the ninth hole. <laughs> Absolutely trash. And that is my favorite thing to do when I'm golfing. Disc golf, I take it more professionally because it's my job. But to each their own, go out to your thing. As long as you're being active outside, the sun's an incredible thing. Go out and enjoy it. Perfect. Oh, last random disc golf question. I don't know why I didn't ask this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many holes are there usually in a... a usually, average? so... Uh, most courses are 18 holes. Any of the major tournaments that you're playing will be three or four rounds. So it'll be 54 holes or 72 holes. When I'm back in Virginia or, you know, in a local area, it'll be two rounds in one day. So I'll play 36 holes in one day. And that's usually a local tournament. All those tournaments will, you know, say I win one and it's a smaller one. I'll either make a hundred dollars or I'll make $400. If it's a slightly bigger one, I'll make $500 to $700. And then it keeps going up and up as the tournament increases. And so when you say rounds, cause I was thinking rounds, like you play the same holes again. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. Yeah. So for the most part, like uh, I'll tell you this, the green mountain championships I was talking about earlier round one, you play a course called Brewster Ridge. It's more wooded. It's 18 holes. 
And then round two, which is the next day. So you start on Thursday. On Friday, you go play Fox Run. It's more open, but it's another 18 holes. And then round three, you go back to Brewster Ridge. You play those ones. And if you do well enough, you make the cut. You can play the final day on Sunday on round four. You go back to Fox Run. Some tournaments, like when I was just in Waco, I was playing. It's called. It's a course called Brazos East. You play all three rounds. Friday, you play one round Friday, one round Saturday, one round Sunday. You play the same course all three rounds. So every tournament is just slightly different. Most of them, though, you play one course. Some of them, you play two. Perfect. And then I know I want to ask you for your last question. Oh, the last question in a little bit, but I keep thinking of like stuff that I was because I don't like to write anything down. Because yeah, I no, I hear you. It makes it more fun. Like and now this one, and now this one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, we started with the uh, disc golf questions. We've gone off the rails. And now we're mm-hmm. back to this golf questions. Do you guys have like any like unspoken rules or unwritten rules or like weird etiquette rules? Like, you know how like there's the unwritten laws of baseball or things mm-hmm. like that. Do you guys have that? So in disc golf, one of the biggest things is when you walk up to your shot or when you step on a tee pad, you have 30 seconds to throw that shot. So the second you walk up and you're kind of ready to go, you have 30 seconds to look at it, make your choice, what you want to do, and then throw the shot. Some players will go longer than that. And so you kind of like, let's say, let's say you and I are playing around together. You walk up to a shot and you have no idea what the hell you're going to do. And so you take 45 seconds. The first time I'm probably going to be like, you know what? It was a tough spot. It was a little windy. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, let's say we go to hole two. You do it again and again and again. You keep taking more than 30 seconds. It's kind of like it's not an unspoken or unwritten rule. Like there's nothing really in that regards yet, but uh, it's more like you give a little courtesy. Like, yeah, that was a tough shot. I'm not going to call him out yet. But if you do that multiple times, then I'm like, bro, it doesn't take 30 friggin' seconds or 45 seconds to line up a shot and throw it like let's speed it up a little bit. And then at that point, after, you know, X amount of time, if you've done it, you know, a couple of times in disc golf, it's called the courtesy violation. The first time that I officially call you out on it, you get a courtesy violation. The second time you do it and I call you out again, it'll be a stroke penalty. So it's kind of like that. We know there are certain players in our sport right now who do take a little bit of extra time. Depending on the conditions, you kind of let it slide. But at the same time, I'm not like a super like, oh, my God, we got to follow the rules exactly to a T. But rules are rules in whatever sport that you're playing. You got to kind of abide by those rules. And so if you've done it a couple of times to where it's like, all right, now this is just, you know, like now you're just taking advantage of it. We'll say something. But I'll say the unspoken thing is like kind of feel it out. There you go from there. We're talking to you, Paul Macbeth. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm kidding. He, I'm kidding. He's, no, I know. I know. He's, he's one of the quicker players. There, there are the ones who are like, all right, bro, it does not take 45 <laughs> seconds to look at a basket that's 25 feet ahead of you and then finally put the disc. Like, get the heck out of here. Come on. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely not calling them out. I'm just kidding with Paul. Nah, 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 he nah, doesn't nah. know me, but I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so, final question. Too hard, too fast. Do you have a too hard, too fast story where anything – a, time, a moment where you maybe have gotten too drunk to mm-hmm. function mm-hmm. or maybe some words of wisdom, things you want to share, maybe something that happened on the, yeah. on the, 
Yeah. off or something. I kind of, yeah, I kind of give you, a, I'll give you my too hard, too fast story, and then I'll give you my words of wisdom. So my too hard, too fast story was back in December, I was quarantining with my girlfriend because we both got COVID about the same time. We were supposed to go back to Massachusetts, hang out with my parents, but we both got COVID. So had to spend 10 days cooped up. We watched TV shows, read books, played video games all 10 days, ate, you know, we cooked every single meal and drank a ton of wine and drank a ton of beer. It was awesome. But so the final day that we quarant- we were done quarantining, we went out to dinner with a bunch of friends and I went to a Mexican place in Virginia called La Coretta. It's kind of like a chain Mexican restaurant. I don't know how far it expands, but I go to this chain Mexican restaurant and I get the same thing that I get every single time. It's a chicken and steak Talavero. It's just chicken and steak and ton of cheese sauce with rice. You know, very simple, basic. It's great. And it was disgusting that night. For some, the, the steak was chewy. The chicken felt undercooked. The cheese wasn't hot. It was awful. So I had like two bites of it. I told the waiter, I was like, take it back. Don't charge me for it. I don't want anything else. I was like, I'm, I'm annoyed now. But that whole night, we were drinking jumbo margaritas with all of our buddies because there's like six or seven of us out to dinner that night. And so I'm sitting there. I'm having these massive margaritas and I'm sucking them down because I haven't hung out with people in 10 days. I haven't been in a fun environment. I love going out to eat. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so I'm putting down every single margarita that I got. So I put down three or four of them. And then I had to have a work meeting with Descura stuff. It was, we were, you know, figuring out stuff. And so me and all my buddies, we met up at one of our, you know, we met up at our office and when it's more of a casual meeting, we always bring red wine. Like, it's just, it's a funny thing. We just drink caps staff together. And so as I got to the meeting, I was like, oh damn, I feel kind of tipsy right now from all the margaritas I was drinking and I didn't eat any food. And so I was like, ah, screw it. Pour me a glass of wine. So I have two glasses of wine. And then all of a sudden, a friggin' switch just flipped in my body to where I started talking nonsense at the meeting. I'm like standing up telling people like, no, we got to do it like this. We got to do it like that. And I, I'm completely talking on my ass right now. And so my buddy was like, I knew you were drunk when you started talking about the profits of the profits. And so that's that's just when I was like, yeah, I was bugging out then. So I, I tried spending like 30 minutes and then. You know, for some other reason, I was like, all right, I'll see you guys later. Like, I'm going to get a ride home, you know, see you guys later. My buddy, Josh, who, you know, is co-owner of the company. He was like, dude, you ain't going anywhere. He's like, you're going to sit your ass down on that couch and you are going to sleep. He's like, I'm going to bring you up some food and you're going to sleep. And then uh, I was like, nah, nah. So I called up my girlfriend at the time and I was just like, hey, you know, come pick me up. And then apparently I called her like nine times within four minutes, just asking where she was. And I there are parts of the night that I don't remember, but that's. As of recent memory, that's my my too hard, too fast moment. Perfect. Perfect. That is the best. Hey, have a business meeting with and talk nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Just completely disregard the actual business meeting and just keep drinking. But uh, now I would say my my words of wisdom, though, completely separate to that is, uh, well, first off, you know, don't ever drink and drive. Uber is a great thing. Lyft is a great thing. I'll say that. That's a huge words of wisdom. It's never necessary. And then uh, to anyone listening to the podcast, man, follow your dream. If you got something that you want to do with your life, go out and do it. Do it. Take a pay cut. You know, sacrifice. In my personal life, this is something that's like been really tough in a sense of like when I decided I wanted to be a professional disc golfer, I moved away from my family. So I had to sacrifice time that I get to spend with my family 
to pursue something that, you know, I want to do so that I can potentially one day spend more time with my family. And so whatever you want to do, whatever your dream is, you know, you kind of got your head set on. It's going to involve a ton of sacrifice and go out and do it though. It's if you want to live a better life, go out and do what you want to do with it. Dude, I love that. And I, I, I'm not sure if I saw it on your Instagram or I just saw it on Instagram, but it was literally, I saw it today where it said, if you want to follow your dreams and you want to do what you really want in life, it involves sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you don't, if you don't do that sacrifice, then you'll sacrifice what you love. Mm-hmm. And I'm paraphrasing yep. a lot on that, but it's kind of like that. Like, it's just like yeah, no, it's, it's literally exactly like that. I mean, I I've, I've met the greatest players in the world. I've hung out with them. I'm best friends with one of them. And I'll tell you this, I I've sacrificed family time. I've sacrificed friendships. Unfortunately I've sat, you know, I've, I've dated multiple people in my life and disc golf has been something that in a sense becomes detrimental to a relationship. I get to view it as, you know, if you weren't with me in my hard times, then you don't want to be with me in my good times. So fortunately I get to look at, you know, I'm going to keep going out and doing disc golf. You're not the right person for me. It is what it is. I'm still friends with the majority of them, but, um, that's where the sacrifice comes in. I mean, believe me, some days I want to sit in bed lazy. I want to hang out with the girl that I'm dating at the time. But with disc golf, it's like, hey, man, you got to get your ass up because someone else did in the country and they're going to work harder than you. You know, if I ever want to be how I want to be in the sport, I got to work harder than everyone else. So that's kind of the what you got to take out of it. Sure, man. And we'll end it with that. Perfect words of wisdom. You know, sacrifice for what you love. Mm-hmm. But, ah, dang it. I lost what I was going to say. Oh, well, too good. hard, too fast. Well, end too with hard, too fast. There you go. <laughs> I yeah, was, yeah. was going to go out on a high note, but you know what? I can't say anything. Uh, I can't say anything better than what you just said. And I wouldn't want to. Appreciate Once again, it. I appreciate that you came on. Absolutely. Uh, I think I have a new favorite disc golfer. Uh, I appreciate Nick that. Carl, baby. My man. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We just gone too hard, too fast with Nick Carl. Follow him at Disc Golf Nick Carl. Boom. Get yourself some Discura. Hey, my man. <laughs> DiscuraDG.com. That's where you'll see all the apparel. And there's also going to be apparel with my own personal brand on it. If you ever want to support me personally, you buy that and then it helps me out a ton. So appreciate that. Perfect, man. You know, Disc Golf, like you said, it's a. Uh... It's a cheap buy-in, but mm-hmm. it can be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm ready to get out there and figure it out. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have yeah. to uh, for having for having me on the podcast, man. I'm gonna have to send you out a couple discs. I'll get you a whole pretty much bag set up. So Dude. after we're done this, you send me your address and everything like that. When I get back to Virginia, I'm gonna go grab some stuff. And I'm gonna send it over to you. Well, dude, I that's that's fucking awesome, man. That that is great. I got you. I have something for you too. It's not as it's not. You know, as great as, you know, a whole bag. But so I have these two koozies that I have. So, you know, I usually send them out to the guests yeah. that come on. I don't give them out to anybody else other than guests. So, I mean, eventually at some point, maybe I'll start uh-huh. up selling them. But yeah. right now they're just for guests. I appreciate uh, that. So I know it's not much, but, you know, I, it's, it's perfect appreciation for. And I was going to say, it ain't about the money, bro. It ain't about the value behind it. <laughs> the appreciation aspect of it. That's all that matters. 
Perfect. So we'll we'll exchange addresses and we'll, we'll figure it out. But again, thank you for coming on. Also, once you're a guest on the Too Hard Too Fast podcast, I will promote everything for you. You know, you'll probably get annoyed. Uh, I'll always like I see you some doing something good. I'll I'll put it on the stories. You know, Hell forever yeah, promotion. No, uh, that's that's perfect. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> perfect, man. Thank and you. then when if you ever feel like you want to go too hard too fast again, you're always welcome. Sounds good. Love Hell it. yeah. Uh, so let's do that. Sit back. No, why was I saying sit back? Uh, remember, dare to be you, dare to be weird. Bye.